Hello and welcome back to the official SASTA podcast for instalment two of this week with me, your host Harry Stebbings, found on Snapchat at HStebbings with two Bs. And do not forget you can follow the main man behind all things SASTA at JasonLK on Twitter for the one and only Jason Lemkin. However, to the show today, and I'm thrilled to welcome an individual in a role we've not spoken to on the show before, so a first and a special one here, as we welcome Amit Agarwal, Chief Product Officer at Datadog, the startup that provides cloud-scale monitoring that tracks your dynamic infrastructure and applications. And they've raised over $140 million in VC funding from some of the best in the business, including Index Ventures, IA Ventures, OpenView, and RRE, just to name a few. As for Amit, before Datadog, Amit was the Director of Product Management at Quest Software, now Dell, where he led the team responsible for application performance monitoring. Previously, Amit held product management roles at Datamira, now IBM, and Embarcadero Technologies. I also want to say a huge thanks to Shadul Shah at Index Ventures for the intro to Amit today, without which this episode would not have been possible. But before we dive into the show today, we all know that trust is a key component to the success of any business, and that's where Reviews.io comes in. Reviews.io is a Google-trusted third-party review platform, and is the only platform in the world which collects, monitors, and publishes reviews to Google, Bing, Facebook, Amazon, and more. Reviews.io is the only solution on the market which allows businesses to see a 360-degree view of their reputation across the web, with their robust API that allows you to manage your reputation automatically while achieving the industry's highest review collection. Reviews.io is perfect for any business that's looking to increase conversions, build customer trust, and increase visibility on Google. Unlike competing platforms, Reviews.io do not agree with long-term contracts and even has a 15-day trial for all SASTA listeners. Simply head over to Reviews.io now and sign up for your free trial. But enough from me, so without further ado, I'm delighted to welcome Amit Agarwal, Chief Product Officer at Datadog. Good, that's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Amit, it's absolutely fantastic to have you on the show today, and a huge thanks to Shardul at Index for the intro, but thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Harry. I'd love to get started though today with a bit about you, and I want to start with how you made your way into SaaS and, and came to be Chief Product Officer at Datadog. I've been in enterprise software for almost 20 years now, and before Datadog, I used to I used to run product management at, at uh, other companies where I ran monitoring. And one of the things that I was starting to get frustrated with was, you know, once you have products that have been running for a while, you see all of the flaws in these products. So every day I deal with issues at my previous previous in my previous roles around how hard it was to to deploy monitoring products, lack of into how people are actually using these products. The new platform changes with virtualization and clouds that were appearing on, on the horizon that a lot of these products were not built to support. So with all of these, like I'd look at all these SaaS companies like uh, Salesforce, etc., and I'd say, hey, wouldn't it be great if we could do monitoring the same way? Because that would solve a lot of those problems. And I wish I could start from scratch. And that's where I started to look and found Datadog. You said there about kind of the product itself and in the early days. I do want to start with the early days because I've heard from a little birdie that in the early days, you didn't have a marketing strategy. Uh, And and being a technical team, I'd love to hear what the learning was through this lack of strategy. 
Yeah, it wasn't so much that we didn't have a marketing strategy. It was more that we were all engineers and we had been frustrated by the marketing ephemera and the three-lettered acronyms that are spewed out by various tech companies that we had worked at in the past, right? Where it was really hard to figure out from the marketing materials what the products actually did. It was super frustrating for all of us. And one thing that we decided early on that was that we were not going to be driven by tone-deaf marketers selling to engineers, using input from sales folks who were being told to pitch products to C-suite and thereby like diluting what the product did to a level where no one could understand what the product did. So we went with, instead of coming up with a traditional marketing plan, let's do what we need, what we know to do as engineers, which was to go over a series of iterations around marketing tactics. And all of it geared toward getting more users to sign up for our product. Thus, any marketing program that we have run is also relentlessly evaluated and chopped if it doesn't produce those signups and doesn't produce users who are going to look at the product and give us feedback or or become our happy customers. Can I ask, were there any inflection points in those iterations when you were quickly A-B testing the different strategies and monitoring it? Were there any kind of key inflection points and, and learnings? Yeah. So first, first inflection point was when we had our first sale. It was from our website where someone went in without talking to us bought our product. It gave us tremendous amount of confidence in what we were doing and what what we had built. And because, you know, up until then, you're always second guessing yourself and thinking whether everything that you're producing is going to have any impact or not. So, so that was the first thing. It gave us a bit of confidence. Then the next inflection point was when we got our first $100,000 a year customer. And this was before our Series A funding. So this was a very important milestone as well as inflection point in our history. Because this was the first time now that we had to grow up very quickly and deal with things like legal, security, privacy, compliance, all those type of issues that are relevant to any large customer who buys our product. It helped us grow up really quickly, and it was one of those coming-of-age type of moments for us. And then the third one that I'd, I'd like to bring up is when we went to our first trade show in Las Vegas, we took our entire, like we were 20 people, we took our entire team with us and our booth was literally completely swarmed with people wanting to look at our product and that was a huge inflection point for us in from a marketing perspective because it told us that yes we could do this and we could invest even more in marketing and go to even bigger trade shows and do even even bigger things with it i'm super intrigued you said about the 100k client now i'm just too excited to ask about this so on that one do you think then it's possible for startups to start at those very high ACV enterprise tickets and kind of start there? Or do you think it actually it's not possible and you've got to start at the much lower tickets and move your way up market? Yeah, we didn't plan one way or the other. All we planned for was to get customer, like we didn't, it wasn't a deliberate strategy to go after a customer who would pay us $100,000 a year. It was more that we were very focused on getting certain types of users. And some of those users happened to be at this place where they they looked at us and they said, well, we can actually see us using you guys across our entire company, not just with the three people that are using the product, 
But in order for us to do that, we need these five things, right? So, so for us, that was, we almost accidentally stepped into it very early on, and which was very helpful because for that $100,000 customer, there were others that we had to walk away from as well, which I didn't talk about earlier, but there were others who wanted us to do things that were completely unnatural for what the product was, which wouldn't have helped us scale. So in this case, it helped us and it helped us kind of figure out like, you know, the things that we really thought were useful and we could then replicate across other customers. Mm-hmm. Talking about kind of moving upscale there, though, I'm interested, mm-hmm. and so is actually Shardul, to, to discuss kind of multi-product lines, obviously something that's paramount for SaaS startups generally. And, and kind of as you move across customer profiles, as you did there, I'd love to talk mm-hmm. about moving across product lines. So with that in mind, what are your thoughts on the how, the when, and the why to launch a successful second product? Well, <laughs> I can only speak from my experience at Datadog and elsewhere. Obviously, there are many ways to skin the cat, but in this specific example, I think for us, the most important thing is to have a successful first product before launching into a successful second product. And the successful second product has to be somewhat tied to the synergies with the first product in some way. Like the question I ask myself every time we think of new product SKUs is, does it have economies of scope? i.e. are we going to use the same sales and marketing team to go and sell to the same buyer? And does it also have economies of scope from a customer's perspective where it somehow by buying two things from Datadog that are adjacent to each other helps them in some way, whether it be developer productivity because we can solve better use cases by having more integrated product or it be around like just having to deal with one vendor that provides multiple different things that take data from one one area of the company into another area of the company. It's, it's super interesting you said there about the transferability of people and resources across product lines there. Mm-hmm. I had Peter Gassner from Viva Systems on the show, and he said the thing with second products and third products is to have completely segmented resources whereby you allocate a whole new team to the new product to stop the lack of focus being taken away from the first product. Do you get concerned that with multiple products that the focus can be lost or kind of diminished? I would agree with that statement because we also internally, we created a separate product and engineering teams to really spearhead the new product lines that we are launching. Because, you know, because every day when engineers are dealing with the main product line for the company, there's always something important about it that would take them away from, an excuse to take them away from working on something brand new. So this gives us focus because now we have to, once we spin off a different team, they have to show something for themselves every week, every day that, you know, that they're making progress. But conversely, like the one important thing that sometimes companies miss that I would I would like to stress in, in this case is it's very important for even when you spin off different teams to build new product lines, they need to make sure that they understand the mission and the vision and, and the ability to integrate with the previous product lines that, that they have worked on. Because without that, there's very little differentiation from someone else that's out there. Like how you differentiate is how your product lines kind of integrate with each other. And and if you don't do that, then you're just building different products within the same company. I'd love to talk about the integration there of teams. We spoke about marketing uh, earlier and product. How do you like to see the interplay between the marketing and the product teams? And to what extent should there be synergies? And if so, how do you implement? Yeah, absolutely. So the product managers are the closest people 
to users and engineers in any software company. And they're in, often in the best position to articulate like product positioning and differentiation. Marketers are best equipped to take that information and turn it into events, demand gen, and content. So there's a very good interplay between the two sides where product managers come up with positioning and differentiation for the product and articulate it. And mar- marketers then take all that and turn it into things that produce leads and ultimately customers for the company. And then product managers are also ultimately responsible for their line of business or their product skews. So their job doesn't end at just telling the marketers the product differentiation and positioning. They need to be involved and curious and demanding at every stage of like marketing launch to running events to to everything to understand that their product area is getting the attention it deserves from marketing because marketing is a shared resource ultimately and they need their customers of marketing and they need to make sure that they're demanding customers to get what they need. How do you make sure then the communication uh, flow and channel is, is very streamlined between the two different teams? Yeah, so in one way, we do it by making the product managers come up with an initial marketing plan for a launch when a new product SKU is launched. So in that marketing plan, they have to work with different teams in marketing who do demand gen and sales enablement and website content and so on and so forth to really bring it all together and have it come to fruition. And then conversely, every time marketers, like for example, are PR team and AR team, every month they go back and they check in with every product manager to make sure that they're covering every part of new product features and new product functionality that's being released so they can go and then go and evangelize it to the rest of the world. Speaking of the marketing there, though, and we naturally have to discuss sales, and I'd love to discuss the early sales days. You've said before, it's tough to sell to large enterprises in the early days who are traditionally <laughs> more risk-averse. So firstly, does does that mean that startups should then enter it from a different perspective? How can that be approached then in terms of selling to large enterprises in the early days? Yeah, that's a great question. Personally, I believe that, you know, it, it really depends on the type of product that you're selling. So, for example, there are some products that by the nature of the product, you may want to sell it to the large enterprise. Like, for example, if you're building a financial system that's meant for large enterprises, then of course, that's the place where you start. Or if you're building a CRM that's meant for a large enterprise, then you go and sell it to the large enterprise. So that's one of the distinctions. So like, you know, it's it's not a very hard and fast rule that you have to start small and go with SMBs and then then eventually go to the, to the large enterprise. It really depends on the product. Mm-hmm. In our case, specifically for Datadog, we didn't make the distinction between going with a startup versus large enterprise. What we focused on were two things. One was the user, which in our case was the DevOps engineer, and the market, which was companies that were moving to the cloud. Now, early days of Datadog, that tended to be either Silicon Valley style companies that were adopting like, you know, leading edge, bleeding edge type technologies. But then over time, the bet that we had made was that this market would move more and more toward the large enterprise, where both from practitioner perspective, like the DevOps engineer, those roles would become well-defined in these large enterprises as well as the market would expand and include the large enterprises that it didn't include in the early days of the cloud. So for us, it was, and you know, this is what the entrepreneurship is about. You make a bet based on what you believe is the future 
capture the market. And we made this bet that the cloud was going to be big. And that's how it evolved into going from small companies and startups in Silicon Valley to very, very large Fortune 500, Fortune 50 enterprises. I, I do have to ask one thing, though, on the sales process there of selling <laughs> to enterprise. I had Jason Pressman, uh, a VC at Shasta, on the show the other day, and he said below 25K and above 100K is perfect in terms of ticket price. But if you're mm-hmm. in between, you're in the valley of death. I'm intrigued. What are your thoughts of this, having seen the full spectrum as you spoke there? Look, we <laughs> we have hundreds of customers, maybe thousands of them that are that are in that valley of death today <laughs> that pay us that. Like, you know, it's it's difficult to generalize these things. I think what your other guest may be referring to is that sometimes very small deals are easy to do because the control or who signs that check is at a departmental level. And also very large deals are easy to do because who signs that check is at a very senior level. So, so there's a clear distinction between like, you know, if it's a very over 100K, there's a senior level person who's like VP or above who's sponsoring the project and cares enough about it to sign it. And at the at the other end of the scale, it's like uh, departmentally, people can just get it done. The distinction I would like to make is that when you look at that whole spectrum of things, uh, the reality is much more nuanced, especially when it comes to SaaS-based products, because SaaS-based products are sold much more on a usage basis, where at least our product is where people buy on a monthly subscription or an annual subscription. And they pay us as they expand their usage. So oftentimes what happens is that they would start for a lot of the sales, they may start at a small scale and then they grow very rapidly over the next three, four months as people, more people adopt the product to that value of death scenario. Or it may start at a much larger scale and then they may keep scaling up as well. So I would encourage your listeners to take the contrarian view and think like, you know, perhaps for SaaS products, it doesn't matter and you you, you go in and if you have a great product, people will buy and people will want to pay based on utility and and so on. Mm-hmm. But I'd love to dive into a quick fire round that we call the 60 second Saster. So I say a statement and then you give me your immediate thoughts. How does that sound? Yeah, sounds great. So let's do when's the right time to have a, a chief product officer and why? Early stage of uh, company titles are not reflective of what people do and roles need to be nebulous. So chief product officer or whatever role it, it just needs to be the person who's right for the job that complements the founders to get the company where it needs to be. If you're not embarrassed by V1, you've shipped too late. A famous comment by Reid Hoffman. Uh, do you agree? And what's the thoughts around this? Yes, agree 100%. We as engineers are hyper aware of our own flaws and we always keep second guessing and keep working on problems to make the product perfect. What we miss in that process is that our rationality, I believe, is bounded by what we know. So when you give the product to customers, they may find things that you may have thought as an engineer are the most critical things in your product that need to be improved or fixed. But your customer may have a completely different opinion of that. And it's foolish to keep improving the product based on your own opinion of what needs to be improved. Much better to have customers tell you what what you need to improve. What's your favorite SaaS reading material? What do you love when it comes into the inbox or through the letterbox or on Amazon? What's your favorite reading? 
believe I am obsessive about uh, competition and I read everything that our competitions, both large and small, say and do. Okay, absolutely. How do you view competition then? Is it a row your own race or do you think a, a healthy eye on the competitive landscape's best? I think healthy eye on the competitive landscape continually reminds you and humbles you to your own product and it tells you also what you need to do sometimes or see the obvious flaws in the competition and say, okay, this is what I'm going to do different from all those competitors. And then what do you know now that you wish you'd known at the beginning of your data dog journey? So the one thing that I know now is how long it takes to hire great people and how difficult it is to recruit great people at software companies. In early days, before we raised our Series A funding or Series B funding and so on, I used to think perhaps naively that, you know, money was the most important constraint or the resource that that we needed to have. Once we had it, all our problems would go away. We could throw money at at marketing. We could throw money at uh, engineering and all these problems would get solved. The hard lesson I learned was how hard it is to get the right kind of people and great people, even if you have all the money that you need to have to hire those people. How much of your time is spent hiring, if you don't mind me asking, percentage-wise, say? Now, maybe 60-70%. But I I do want to move into away from the quickfire and to a final question and discussing the large enterprises and when the right time to expand from the core customer bases and more from an insights perspective really as to what you've seen from working with these mega corporations about the adoption cycles we spoke about hiring cycles there what have we seen in terms of adoption cycles of the mega corporations and really kind of their responsiveness to innovation yeah it's been surprisingly fast at a number of our customers we were actually very cynical and skeptical in the early days on how large corporations would evolve and adopt the cloud. But we have been pleasantly surprised by so many of our customers who ultimately view technology as a competitive advantage and how quickly they have evolved their teams and their practices to mimic those of Silicon Valley companies that are on the cutting edge of technology and also cross-pollinated within their teams, people from all these companies to make innovation happen faster. So I look at the vast majority of customers and it is surprising how quickly they, they've adopted the newer technologies in the cloud. Well, Amit, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show today. As I said, Shardul told me it'd be a fantastic conversation and it's absolutely lived up to expectations. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Harry. I really appreciate it. A real pleasure to have Amit on the show there and exciting times ahead for Datadog and again a big thank you to Shardul Shard Index Ventures for the intro to Amit today without which the episode would not have been possible and if you want to follow more from us then you can find me on Snapchat at hstebbings with two b's you can follow Amit on Twitter at Amit Khan A-M-I-T-C-A-N or you can follow the main man behind all things Sasta at Jason LK on Twitter we'd all love to see you on those respective platforms but before we leave you today we all know that trust is a key component to the success of any business business. And that's where Reviews.io comes in. Reviews.io is a Google-trusted third-party review platform and is the only platform in the world which collects, monitors, and publishes reviews to Google, Bing, Facebook, Amazon, and more. Reviews.io is the only solution on the market which allows businesses to see a 360-degree view of their reputation across the web with their robust API that allows you to manage your reputation automatically while achieving the industry's highest review collection. Reviews.io is perfect for any business that's looking to increase conversions, build customer trust, and 
increase visibility on Google. Unlike competing platforms, Reviews.io do not agree with long-term contracts and even has a 15-day trial for all Sasta listeners. Simply head over to Reviews.io now and sign up for your free trial. As always, we so appreciate all your support and cannot wait to bring you Monday's episode.